who are you? I'm the monster's mother. Look inside yourself. What is that pain? Sophia, ask yourself. What god made a world like this one? A real shitty god. The same one that created this world. I want to leave. You think that these walls can't be crossed? That the sadness you keep inside is real? Sophia, the body is nothing more than a prison. I cannot say, and I will not say, that she is dead. She is just awake. With a cheery smile and a wave of the hand, she has wandered into an unknown land and left us dreaming how very fair it needs must be since she lingers there. And you, oh you, who the wildest yearn for the old time step and the glad return, think of her faring on as dear in the love of there as the love of here. Think of her still as the same, I say. She's not dead. She's just away. Some Sophia content for you, as she will be part of the theme of a fantastic All Things Gnostic show. It includes part of the poem, She Is Just Away, by James Whitcomb Riley, from Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House. Wisdom is not dead. She is just away in an unknown land. But now she returns to our world, the real land of the dead, in this age of Hermes. Dream time is coming, and it's time for the Aeons to bite back at the rulers of this age, that wickedness in high places, who have kept humanity hypnotized for millennia. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. As the Nag Hammadi Library's Nature of the Ruler states, the Archons threw mankind into a great distraction and into a life of toil, so that mankind might be occupied by worldly affairs and might not have the opportunity of being devoted to the Holy Spirit. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. But as Sophia states in the secret book of John, And I entered into the midst of their prison, which is the prison of the body. And I said, He who hears, let him get up from his deep sleep. Just as good, the book of Sirach states, the first human being never finished comprehending wisdom, nor will the last succeed in fathoming her. For deeper than the sea are her thoughts, and her counsels than the great abyss. Open your eyes. Dream time is coming indeed. Sophia rises. She is not away. She is stirring us from our slumber. Yes, these are bruises from fighting. Yes, I'm comfortable with that. I am enlightened. It's been a brilliant journey of self-awakening. Now you've simply got to ask yourself this. What is happiness to you? Welcome to that place where you awaken. 
And what is it? One does not simply walk into Aeon Bytnostic Radio, an initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult culture and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host, Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird, this is the blow-your-mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. And you deserve to be here, for you are a shining crazy diamond that should be seen and can ignite the universe with so much wonder. What is the universe without each sunrise? And that's how we judge our gods. Not on their math, but their poetry. Wisdom has brought you here. And so did your scars, curiosity, and thirst for the arcane. As Anais Nin wrote, We do not escape into philosophy, psychology, and art. We go there to restore our shattered selves into whole ones. The world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong at the broken places. We're getting out of this black iron prison. We're getting out of this matrix, this Westworld. This Truman Show, this Hotel California, this Pleasantville, this Upside Down, this Cosmic Shawshank, this Prison Planet, this Other Mother Realm. We're getting out of this Dark City, this Wonderland, this Oz, this Tron Simulation. You are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Well, it's not really a measure of mental health to be well-adjusted in a society that's very sick. We're going beyond the stars and inward, as they are one and the same, all to find our higher self, the best version of ourselves, our daemon, in our misplaced childhood and paradise lost. Your life is yours to create. I'm very excited to host at the Virtual Alexandria, Dan Morse, who will be discussing his new book, The Divine Spark Within, Excavating the Mysteries of Sophia and the Deep Christ. By Odin's Dingleberries, this is a book you need if you are at any spectrum of Gnosticism. Dan does an incredible job from a historical, mythological, theological, and mystical standpoint. Heck and heckity, the work even provides spiritual exercises that tap directly into the hermetic and Gnostic ethos. The Divine Spark Within is a book I'm so happy manifested in these end times. And you'll see its importance in our interview. The universe did something right. In the end, the universe tends to unfold as it should. Plus, I have a really large penis. That keeps me happy. Before we get into some of Dan's a hunka hunka burning gnosis, let me quote Robert Price on the goal of Gnostic salvation. Here it is. What is the goal of Gnostic salvation? This is a mythology. 
It is a story of how things came to be the way they are. A story that sets the pattern for everything forever. Or as this myth has it, until forever is over. The ultimate goal of humanity is to come to understand this myth in such a way that the pattern of devolution from the fullness of God to humanity's imprisonment in matter is reversed. To understand the events of our fall reveals to us a map for our journey of ascent. We will emerge free from matter, rise above Yaldabaoth and his demons, return to an established position in the mind of God, and never leave again. The mistake of Sophia will be resolved and wisdom will be fully restored to God. The mind of God will be fully sane and healed. The Gnostic myth is a tale of the growth of God's mental disintegration. The myth reaches its most unhappy form when the Godhead has not only forgotten who God is, but does not even know that God truly exists and begins to worship the artificial deity Yaldabaoth as creator of an external world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your choices are your own and so are the consequences. You made us this way. I made you in my own image. A little thanks would be nice. Thank you. For what? The kids with cancer. The Kardashians. Look at you. Staring at me. In the depths of God's fall, the Godhead believes itself to be human and worships Yaldabaoth as the god of the Hebrew Bible. When the Godhead ceases to know itself, God seems to be human and falls into the multiple personalities we know as human beings. Humankind is fallen God. The goal of Gnostic salvation, then, is to bring self-awareness back to God, which means that divine self-knowledge is the religious goal of human life. All the gods, all the heavens, all the worlds are within us. Agreeing with the Bible geek, let me quote from the Nag Hammadi Library's Sophia of Jesus Christ. All who come into the world, like a drop from the light, are sent to the world of the Demiurge, and the bond of his forgetfulness bound him by the will of Sophia, that it might be revealed the world is in poverty, concerning the Demiurge's arrogance and blindness and ignorance. I, the Logos, have cut off the work of the robbers. I have awakened that drop that was sent from Sophia, that it might bear much fruit through me, and be perfected and not again be defective, so that Sophia might also be justified in regard to that defect, that her sons might not again become defective, but might attain honor and glory and go up to their unknown father and know the words of the light. One day you'll realize that you've had not just one or two past or future existences, but that you were and are everybody and everything that has ever been or will ever be. Well said, Jesus. We are all drops of the pleuromic light, the tears of Pista Sophia, come to cleanse the universe, 
sparkle meaning into the dark corners of creation. Wisdom is not dead. She is no longer away, and she is within us now. Let us welcome her further with our interview with Dan. From the Demiurge, is the Demiurge related to the Overmind? No, I think the Demiurge is like a negative expression of that the created the universe? How did the Overmind get in there to be running the Earth, at least? Well, I think of the Overmind as the Logos. You know, it's the it's the understanding and self-existence which permeates everything. And the Demiurge is the force of matter and time and cosmic destiny that is always trying to lock in the Logos and condition it and make it subject to the rules of the, of the physical universe of space and time. And the Logos is like something from... This is all Gnostic theology, by the way. This is just straight from the book. The Logos is trying to struggle through the labyrinth of the material universe to escape, to rejoin the real source of itself, which is outside of matter. Matter is viewed as a, a, an entrapment. If any of you have read the late works of Philip K. Dick, he was probing in these areas. He was a genius. His book, Valus, is pure exegesis of his internal he, unravelment of what was going on. And he believed, his take on it was, he believed that from A.D. 69 until 1948, no time had actually passed, and that we were living in apostolic time and that the crucifixion lay only 75 years in the past and that the Demiurge had inserted a false history and the Nag Hammadi manuscripts, he believed, were actually the Logos as printed letters and that when the, when the Nag Hammadi manuscripts were deciphered it was like this informational creature would come alive and again be present on the earth, that the Logos, beginning in 1948, was beginning to infuse everything, and that shortly it would dissolve the illusion of the intervening 1860 years, or whatever it was, and then we would realize that the prophecy would be fulfilled and that the last days were upon us. This is the Aeon Byte interview, and with us, we definitely have the pleasure of being joined by Dan Morse to discuss his book, The Divine Spark Within, Excavating the Mysteries of Sophia and the Deep Christ. Dan, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Miguel. Pleasure is all ours. As I mentioned, this is a, a book that I really loved. Uh, I've been waiting since, I don't know, uh, as uh, 2018 when April DeConnick's The Gnostic New Age came out for a book that was both uh, well-researched, gave you approachable, actionable exercises, was social, philosophical, and covered a lot of the texts that people are always asking questions about, including the Pistis Sophia, the Book of Yo, the 
the the pearl of great price so you do an excellent job and uh, i think this book is uh, important for any seeker of modern gnosis or mysticism in general so thank you for creating this dan <laughs> well wonderful and, and it's uh, actually I, I was saying before we went live just that you know this this platform here that you've created is such a a, a wonderful uh what community forum in which to bring uh, out some of these ideas and, and really begin to work more with these the treasures that are found in this uh, tradition here. Agreed. And yeah, we're, it's a nice time that we're not being burned at the stake or anything like that. We can actually <laughs> talk about these things, right? For now. Exactly. For now. Exactly. <laughs> and with us too, somebody who's always excavating the mysteries of Sophia, and that is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Looking forward uh, to our root Gnostic material. So got mm -hmm. my divine spark fired up here mm -hmm. and, and uh, right waiting for it to happen here. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Dan talks a lot about uh, a hero of mine, Simon Magus. So oh, yeah. he hits all the right heretical notes as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Uh, so, yeah, great stuff. But there's so much to unpack. But first mm -hmm. of all, again, this book could have been written by somebody who calls themselves, uh, you might say, a modern Gnosticism. But as you write, Dan, to be clear, I do not consider Gnosticism to be the sole carrier of truth. I would agree with that. And you also write, and I am not a practicing Gnostic. So what made you write uh, The Divine Spark Within? Yes. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I know you, you both are, are fans of Carl Jung. And I think Jung uh, had an experience where uh, he was going through his own kind of personal journey, and especially after his break with Freud, where he was just going through it. And uh, and it, it, he he came to that place where he put his foot into the ground of the Gnostic tradition um, that uh, kind of on the other shore of his, his little journey. And... Um, it was actually the Chinese text, the um, the Golden Flower, Secret of the Golden Flower, that you know where he landed. Um, but it offered him um, a uh, like a map and a, you know a context to better understand his experience. So that's you know I, not comparing myself to Jung at all. But um, basically, for my what led me into the Gnostic material was strangely enough, it was. And I describe it in the book. It's um, going through the the trials and tribulations of adolescence. <laughs> uh, maybe is the easiest way to describe it. Um, and just feeling like the uh, connection with the, uh, the 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 magic and the, um, uh, the the creative energy of my childhood was waning fast. And I ended up through this sort of a long process coming to a, uh, a place of connection with the name Sophia as a kind of an emblematic like commitment to not losing connection with my deep child, you know, curiosity and spark. 
And so Sophia and the name I sort of chose for this commitment was called the Sophia Project. And it was very, you know, sort of a personal, uh, like I say, emblematic uh, sense of direction that was very private, very personal. But it helped me to kind of navigate my way through, you know, the tumultuous years of adolescence and young adulthood. And Sophia was just a name that helped to guide me um, through these years while not losing connection with my inner sort of exuberance. And so then, you know, and, and that was incidentally in the late 70s when uh, the Sophia project was sort of born in my own imagination. And it was around that time that the Nag Hammadi Library was finally published in English. And, right, uh, yeah. and so it was maybe 15 years later uh, when I stumbled on the, the Gnostic, uh, you know, story of Sophia. And I was riveted uh, because I already had this kind of strange, you know, relationship that I didn't know who she was, really. She was just this general figure. And but it was the energy of my desire to stay like rooted like keep my my inner exuberance alive that um you know under the auspices of this sophia uh that you know drove me into the gnostic material with sort of a veracity um you know tracking sophia tracking who she was and, and you know just and it was amazing to to see this sort of cosmology unfold the story of in a sense it parallels you know my own story where you know she has this youthful quality and and then she kind of falls out of grace and and then she goes through this crazy ordeal and uh so anyway it, then i got very uh focused on this creation story of Sophia and began to do work and research on it and uh, and then eventually uh, presented the story of this you know this creation story of Sophia to the my in my graduate program at the University of Creation Spirituality in Oakland uh, which was Matthew Fox's school at the time oh and wow cool so so yeah, so that was sort of my entry into it all, and uh, yes. So. Yeah, you write to it in the mid '90s. Sophia caught up with you. You stumbled on a book <laughs> from one of your old storage boxes called "The Gnostic Religion" by Hans Jonah, which a book that I still love deeply. So this kept going on in your life, right? And when did you decide to write this book? So it was really three years ago that I finally came to the decision to really buckle down and try to get this book out. Uh, but the material has been under development for really all these years since the mid nineties. And, uh, and it was, let's see, I uh, write about it a little bit. I uh, had an encounter with Michael Mead uh, at a festival, Michael Michael being a great you know sort of mythologist and uh, who works with story in a wonderful way and and he kind of gave me a nudge you know I was like I'm feeling a little <laughs> a little old in my in my age here and he's like come on Dan you know it's the third act 
and 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 you don't you know everything is leading up to this point you got to move forward bring it to the next level yeah you know and he just he just really it kind of lit the lit the fire lit this you know he was the spark that lit the fire in me to to take the this you know, seriously writing this book and the sophia project is a real project right for the audience well you know it's the name of my website and it's it generally it's there's really two aspects of it it's uh it's it's the the uh, umbrella through which my own inner subjective experience with this material is moving but then there's the the broader you know sophia project of sophia and uh, you know her coming to the material plane and bringing this divine spark and the planting in humanity and you know and the whole ordeal with the archons you know what the heck is going on here and <laughs> and, and the you know the project of the of the the restoration of the original uh, you know the, the the process of creating this divine human form that kind of went awry and so so i can sort of see it as both the personal you know and this sort of cosmological uh so yeah and and that's kind of one of the things that i i kind of want to stress in the book is is that it really is through the personal subjective experience that is so important and that you know this isn't about oh people have to do it this way or you know understand this or that you know it's really the nuance of the personal subjective experience the deep history that we all have that's very unique to each of us and that it's within that and through that that this there's some mystery that is lurking that you know is available to us well said indeed dan uh i love how you write uh in one part, Sophia is a mythological motif that represents our true inner nature buried deep within us. And you do an excellent job showing the different uh, myths of Sophia from different texts, whether it's the Secret Book of John and others, and also Sophianic myths like the Pearl of Great Price and others. And I love how you you even dare to tackle the Pista Sophia, which is such a monster, complicated mm. Byzantine <laughs> book. And I'm like, you go, Dan. You did a great <laughs> job, and you're able to distill Sophia's fall in that uh, in that text, which is you know still a bit strange, right? There's a jealous Aeon called Authades, and she goes down. Well, it's kind of the same, right? It's pretty much the same motif. But why did you decide to tackle the Pista Sophia? Yeah. The Pista oh, well, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one to tackle. <laughs> exactly. It's the biggest. It's the biggest of the surviving right. Gnostic texts. And it's lesser known because it is quite obscure. Uh, you know, I was uh, uh, working and or studying with and collaborating with the Hertaks, J.J. Hertak and Desiree Hertak. And they uh, wrote the Keys of Enoch. And they came out with this volume on the translation and interpretation of the Pista Sophia. And that was the first entryway for me into this material. And, uh, and it's amazing what's laid out in it, if you have the patience to sort of unpack <laughs> it. And 
Yeah. You know, it's really the first two books I think that are, are, are the easiest. And those, those are the first two books that I've spent the most time with, but it's uh, you know, it's really, it's this strange idea that the Gnostic, like, so Christ, Jesus Christ, who shows up, you know, as this primary lead figure in the Pistosophia is describing to his disciples this broad cosmology and this broad story of Sophia and her fall. And he goes through all these, you know, sort of songs of Sophia where she's in, in the despair of her entrapment in the material world. She's calling out and crying out for rescue. And as she's also, you know, doing her soul work or she's, she's an like a model for, 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 for the, for the individual soul process. And um, so, so yeah, so uh, the, the Pistis Sophia and the secret book of John were really the two like most significant texts that I used in culling this uh, creation story and trying to present it in a way that is a little bit, you know, somewhat easy, but also easier to sort of take in, but also, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to land it using these, you know, these texts as, you know, seed material. It's not just coming out of my own imagination. It's not, you know, yeah, you offer it as a mystery play, right? Sophia's story is a mystery play. Yeah, that was kind of a technique I, I decided to to use to frame the, uh, the, the the various sections of the story as almost like a staging. And, uh, you know, there's the text that is describing these various parts of the story, and, you know, there's a little bit of description and a little bit of analysis in there as well. But the the idea of a mystery play was sort of kind of playing with this, the, the idea of the medieval productions that where the whole villages would come out and they would present these stories or these, you know, these Bible scenes. And, and it's like, here we have this story that is very likely a story that was key and central to Christ's teachings, or at least his esoteric teachings, mystery teachings. And yet it's, you know, sort of gotten lost. It's been sort of wiped off the, off the, you know, the map. And so bringing it back to the stage and, and, uh, and, and also just the, the, the idea of a mystery play, you know, this is a kind of a play playing with the mystery of sorts. And so, yeah. Yeah, I have no doubt that in ancient times, just not just like this text, but the New Testament, uh, certainly texts like Thunder Perfect Mind, the goddess soliloquy in Secret John when she just shows up out of nowhere and gives this big speech. I'm sure these were acted out by actors or the uh, hierophants and all that. It's how you it's how you did it. And probably under the stars at a certain time of the year, it was just uh, it was magical for them. So mm, I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, we they didn't have many books. Most people didn't read. So how do you think this had to be conveyed? And <laughs> so um, I would agree with you. And two is uh, one thing uh, uh, you mentioned here and there, which I think is important, is um, 
I don't know if you've gotten this criticism, but people before like, you know, Sophia, again, like Eve, she's sort of makes a mistake and uh, you got to blame the women. And then, well, then she has to be rescued by Jesus. And I'm like, well, you're kind of missing the idea that she represents our soul. And in ancient times, wisdom and the Shekinah were female. So they had to take what they had. But also when you uh, you get into the supreme goddesses, you know, the ones that are in control, like the trimorphic Pretanoia, thunder perfect mind the heavenly eve even in gnostic texts it's still the same result don't you think dan they're still on their heels they're still rejected by humanity mm-hmm. they're still on the margins of the cosmos you know they're still <laughs> they, they may be in control like jesus in the gospel of john who is in control the whole time but the result is the same whether it's the fallen sophia or the supreme sophia I know I went on a tangent, but no, that is sometimes that I is... get that criticism. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. So this, and yeah. Sophia is so I, multifaceted. She's there's mm-hmm. a multiplicity of ways which makes her so fascinating. Yeah, that's I've I've encountered uh, the distrust of the uh, the the mainline story of Sophia as is is being depicted as having fallen and somehow involved in the creation of the archons. And then she's just this, you know, she's created this meth mess. And then of course she, you know, has to get rescued by Christ. And it's, yeah, it's, it's once again, you're just blaming the woman or, you know, (laughs) but a lot of mystics like theosophists, Sophia is very Luciferian, right? She rebels, she falls, she's a light bringer. She's a trickster. People don't say, Oh, Lucifer, he fell. And they think he's really cool. But when a woman does it, suddenly it's bad. <laughs> That's a, there's like a reverse misogyny going. If you see what I'm mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. if a woman yeah. rebels, it's bad. If a man rebels, he's cool, Lucifer. <laughs> well, so here's here's the thing, though, is that I so so in my book, I'm working with three mysteries. One is the mystery play of the creation story of Sophia. The second is what I'm calling a, a, a mystery thriller, and that is to look into this Gnostic Christ figure and how Christ shows up uh, uniquely in the Gnostic tradition that's very different from how he shows up in the, in the New Testament. And it's kind of an investigative you know, mystery that we're plotting through, like tr- trotting through what's going on with this Christ right. figure. And then, of course, the, the most quintessential and most important uh, a uh, holy mystery is the divine spark within. But uh, as I was tracking, so it, really a, a third of the book, uh, of you know, is is about the Gnostic Christ, uh, and I, I call him in, in more in general the deep Christ uh, that sort of spans the Gnostic tradition and uh, and the, but shows up you know quite differently than how he shows up in the New Testament. So as I'm working to I, I, I basically i'm looking I, i'm kind of going through a process of reverse engineering understanding this yeshua figure in the bible that then you know goes shows up in the gnostic tradition that then has a first century appearance which is so shrouded in fog and misinformation it's really really hard to f- figure out what's going on but as I'm tracking all this, certain of the texts seem to be closer 
uh, to what I'm calling a, a, a new revelation of, of wisdom that, you know, the theory is, is that, is, is that in first century, there was a download, you know, a, a, a sudden emergence of this, uh, this story and the, the, all the, you know, this wisdom tradition that then uh, sort of worked its way into the Gnostic tradition. So the Gnostic tradition is sort of picked up on an original revelation. So this is a thesis that I'm presenting in the book. And, um, and that there are certain texts that are closer to this sort of epicenter of the, uh, of this emergence of this revelation. And, um, and so the uh, second treatise of the great Seth uh, is a, an amazing text, you know, quite obscure. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure that there's other scholars who, who are much more dialed into the, 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 the very fine print of what's going on with these texts. Um, but what I see is, um, from the best of my ability to understand it, is, is that uh, here is um, a description of Sophia that is saying she did not um, mess up. She came specifically to this, you know, this location in the cosmos in this, you know, John, John Lamb Lash would say, you know, the Orion Spur, this, this territory of, of our solar system. She came here specifically uh, with, a, with a mission you know, an intention to seed this area with, uh, I think it, they're using this, the term bodily dwellings into which, you know, children or sons of light can, can become embodied. And this is a, you know, a rare glimpse of a, a kind of a storyline of that, that Sophia, you know, didn't, as is typically described in the Gnostic tradition and texts that, you know, she, that she, oh, she was a result of folly and she left her position and she, you know, fell out of, you know, out of the <laughs> heavens and, you know, but what, what, what Yeshua or this deep Christ is saying is, <clears throat> I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's this deep Christ figure is presenting this, that's the, the idea. Uh, is is that she came as a, a kind of a uh, initial uh, you know person to initiate this project of of seeding this realm from the pleroma down into the chaos, the lower dimensional material reality to seed 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 these beings that then became you know complicated and she you know she was uh, uh, interfered with by these princes and, and their you know principalities and you know we know them as the archons and so yeah so it's this it's this idea that Sophia uh, is is a very very high deity being that is you know in a sense the feminine counterpart to the Christ being uh, that was was part of bringing to this zone in 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 the galaxy or wherever you might call it you know um something quite special and and yet there's been these overlays of 
you know, for, you know, Sophia has been completely just sort of wiped off the map, you know, by, by ortho, the Orthodox Christian system, the Roman system, you know, they just couldn't handle it, you know, so they just sort of really, they replaced Sophia with, well, I mean, with the church, you know, so Christ marrying the church, not being consort to Sophia, <laughs> You know, yeah. so or the Holy so, yeah. Spirit is made male, etc. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, love what, yeah, lo- love what you're saying. And yes, for the audience, uh, Dan has an excellent section where he talks about the Gnostic Jesus, and he gives twelve specific differences of what the Gnostic Jesus is, his hero template, if you would. And it's very, I mean, it's, I think it's precise because this is bang, bang, what this, he does in the Sethian texts and many of the other texts. And it's very different from the Orthodox Jesus, that's for sure. So we get a good sense of the deep Christ or this Gnostic Jesus. So you would say, Dan, in the first century, was there only one Jesus or one Simon Magus? Are we dealing with an Orthodox Jesus and a Gnostic Jesus? Or there's only really started out as a wisdom Gnostic mm. Jesus? Can mm. we say, or we, I mean, we're always, we're always going to be speculating no matter yeah. who says yeah. it, whether it's Bart Ehrman, you, me, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's speculation. <laughs> exactly. We don't have a totally. time machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're never going to know. And there's no, going to be a, a thousand and, you know, so, so many different interpretations. And in a sense, that's um, part of it is, you know, what might each of us see in, in, in their variation on, on this, you know. And uh, and actually, I, I the very first thing I write in the book is basically this is coming through me, uh, you know, this is how I've I've understood this material. And for the reader, you may you know, however it comes alive in you, or you know, whatever whatever speaks or doesn't speak to you, that's so important for the reader to stay in touch with. So <clears throat> that is sort of a disclaimer. So um, so then, yeah, in the tracking this sort of mystery thriller of the, the the deep Christ, you know, in the Nost, let's see, you know, I had this encounter with Elaine Pagels. Right, yes. I read the story of, you know, how, okay, in the, Paul was this, you know, straddled the Gnostic and the Christian, the Orthodox Christian tradition. Oh, yeah. How can you, how can you account for that? You know, Valentinus attributes his, you know, high Gnostic cosmology and you know, system to Paul, you know, and yet he's one of the architects of the, of the Orthodox tradition. So the question being, you know, how do you account for the fact that Christ is, is you know, central to this unusual Gnostic story, and then yet he's also the central figure in the Orthodox tradition? And, and that becomes sort of a central kind of sort of question as I uh, track this um, this deep Christ figure. So yeah, so the it's looking at the attributes of uh, Jesus as he shows up in the Gnostic texts. And they're, you know, quite specific, you know, that he's uh, presenting a, a very vast cosmology, there's certain language, you know, associated with the first mystery and the great power. Um, and you know the region of the right, region of the left. He's descending through the these regions uh, of the archons uh, to to rescue Sophia. You know this is a very specific, um, unusual cosmology and depiction of of the way that Christ is showing up. So um, 
this then leads to, uh, you know, later in the book, I'm sort of circling around what is Gnosticism, who is Sophia, here's the, you know, the creation story. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this Gnostic Jesus, and we get to this figure, Simon Magus, who, I have to say, Miguel, you are, you know, one of the few people who <laughs> is open to this guy or has kind of kept your eye on him, you know, because <laughs> he is quite the, quite the dude. Oh, yeah, he's the man. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah. He was Elvis back then or the only big Jagger. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So, you know, and so basically what I do then is I, you know, sort of try to unpack who this guy was who was absolutely completely smeared by the, you know, the emerging Roman Orthodox tradition. Um, and, you know, he, you know, he, the character assassination that oh, occurred yeah. with Simon <laughs> Magus is equal to the, the destruction and the burial of the whole Gnostic tradition. And yeah. He's as hated as Judas. I mean, that's bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and he's a contemporary of Jesus. I mean, they, they say, you know, well, Gnosticism came afterwards. Oh, but Simon Magus was running around with the apostles and Jesus. <laughs> so it's, you know, there's a, there's a book I, I want to, um, you know, really sort of, highlight or acknowledge uh, when God had a wife by Lynn Pickett, Picknett and Clive Prince. I mean, I mean, you know, the work that, Oh my gosh, the, the work that they've done to dive into the, you know, the, the feminine aspect of deity and God, goddess, you know, is, is tremendous. And they spent a good half of their book diving into Sophia and also Simon Magus. And, you know, when you look at Simon Magus and the great, uh, well, declaration or or they call it the great revelation which is the the language that i used uh this is a text that simon magus uh allegedly either dictated or wrote but it's you know it seems to have his signature cosmology on it and uh he's uh, he's a tremendous uh, figure that has just these sort of uncanny parallels with the gnostic jesus and uh and i you know it's in the picnic and prince they you know they they describe it as sort of this dangerous likeness between the two and they kind of describe how the gnostic uh, i'm sorry the orthodox uh, you know the emerging the heresiologists and and the, and the pseudo clementine literature you know really was working to separate out the simonian system from this emerging uh roman orthodox system and uh, under which you know saint peter was sort of the uh the figurehead and the, the the pivot around which this orthodox tradition began to take shape and so it's this sort of you know peter versus simon thing and um and uh, the the correlation between Jesus as is presented in the Gnostic texts and 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 Simon Magus uh, have just these uncanny uh, parallels. You know, Simon Magus came to rescue Sophia, right. <laughs> and he descended through the the regions of the princes and their principalities. You know, he used this, he doesn't use the word archon, but it's basically the same thing. And um, 
And, uh, you know, and then there's this whole story about Simon Magus and Helen and, uh, but, and it, Helen, who is his Sophia, it, it's his uh, lost sheep, you know, and the, the one who, who matters the most. Uh, and um, so we're basically, this is why I'm working with the idea of the deep Christ is, is that instead of like really trying to land, okay, what's going on? There's the Gnostic Jesus, there's Simon Magus, there's all these correlations. It's kind of crazy to, to fathom, you know, that there may be, um, uh, you know, a, 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 the same identity, you know, that Simon Magus was the father of the Gnostic tradition, you know, according to Irenaeus, or at least his account of it, you know. And um, so, you know, the idea of the deep Christ is, okay, we have this Christ figure who's working with the Sophianic mysteries, and uh, we don't have to necessarily really try to lock in. Oh, okay, it was, you know, <laughs> who's, who's who's the real dude? You know, it's it's the mysteries that are most important here. Right. No, that's really well said, and it should be mentioned. Uh, uh, Clive and Lynn in their book do a great job of connecting how Simon and Ellen, or Jesus and Mary Magdalene, that there was a group keeping these ancient mysteries perhaps egyptian perhaps it was the 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 power of a shira and a nut and these ancient goddesses that were being wiped out slowly and they kept this gnosis alive these secret mm-hmm. you know in a more holistic nature connected mm-hmm. time so and i think you're yeah i think you're a hundred percent right uh you do talk about um Simon Megan is a lead character in the Sophianic mystery play. And you talk about the uh, very important to your book is this idea of the via positiva, negativa, creativa, and transformativa. Could you just <laughs> briefly, t- I know I had to use my, That's my, good. my Portuguese That's... accent in it, but briefly oh, tell right. the audience about this exotic <laughs> stuff I'm talking about here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fourfold, model of the process of development of change of initiation uh it comes you know i was became familiar with it through matthew fox and uh this this fourfold model in the creation spirituality uh you know scene that he was working with but i i really find that it's it's like an archetypal uh template to understand the process of, you know, like original grace, positiva, we're coming from this place of mm, the child is a, is a is a is a precious being, who then goes into the negativa, which is sort of a you know a, a, a fall into the ordeal of development, uh, you know, and as I describe in my own coming from the the state of being kind of a happy child to falling into the negativa of adolescence and, and young adulthood and, and the ordeal of that. And, uh, and that, and, uh, and, and that the creativa is what is just, you know, this is so important in the initiatory process of bringing consciousness to the ordeal 
not just giving up, not just falling victim to circumstances. There's some growth that is is wanting to to emerge. How can you stay true to your 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 true self? You know, this is the the, the aspect of creativa is the, the the moving through the 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 challenge, and and that as that's occurring, that then a transformation can occur, where a new uh, you know, sort of experience and, and sense of being can, can emerge. So in Bentley Layton's uh, book, uh, the, the, what is it? The Gnostic scriptures, right. something about the new mm-hmm. age. Yeah. Uh, a, a phenomenal, that was the, really the first, one of the first books that really uh, ushered me into the, 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 the Gnostic scriptures. Uh, he lays out a fourfold uh, map of the creation story of Sophia, and that it follows that sort of fourfold template uh, very, very well, um, where Sophia, you know, is in the heavens, she's in the Pleroma, she's this deity, you know, she's, she's a twofold, you know, we've sort of come to know her as both the high Sophia, the Holy Spirit kind of connected from, from the original unfolding of the emanation uh, which is hugely important in this cosmology. But then there's this sort of daughter figure uh, who f- comes down and brings this divine spark. And um, so, yeah, and uh, so, yeah, so I use the the fourfold uh, system as a kind of a structure to, for, for the, for presenting the creation story and, and various chapters and sections of the book. Um, and I, I don't know if it's like apropos at this point to just touch on uh, the uh, the Adam and Eve section, sure. okay? Because that's you know it's as I sort of describe a little bit when I've presented the story of Sophia, you know, it gets to the Adam and Eve part, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's like <laughs> here we go. Here Who we wants go. to <laughs> go into this like uh, complex story again? <laughs> But it's huge because it basically is seeing uh, the uh, the story. So it's taken from the Gnostic system and that seems to also correlate to what Simon Magus was talking about, uh, about how, you know, there was this original plan to bring in this divine being, but then it got, you know, all messed up with the archons. And then the archons picked up on the idea and said, Hey, let's create a man in that image. They right, yeah. And, uh, and they do. And then, and then, but it's not alive because they are just like sort of like lower level, uh, you know, DNA architects and, and so, but until they, uh, Sophia sends these angels to, to, to blow this divine spark into Adam. And when that happens, Adam becomes alive. And that correlates to what's going on in, you know, what's being presented in the, um, in the, in the Old Testament with the, in the Genesis and the, you know, God blew into Adam and he became alive. And, so, um, so, and this is the, you know, this is the divine spark. This is the, the planting of the divine spark, this very obscure, uh, strange motif that is, is really central to the Gnostic system. Uh, and, you know, so Adam, th- then, you know, the, 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 
the Yeldabaoth, <laughs> who you've talked about at length, you know, <laughs> you know, is uh, just like, oh boy, what's going on here? Wait a minute, no, we don't want to. We, we just want no. this dude. We don't want some lit up person. So, <laughs> so he tries. He messes with Adam, and then pulls. You know, and and then Sophia sends this the feminine spiritual principle known as Eve into who's planted into, you know, this is the divine spark that is planted in Adam that, you know, yellow pulls out of him as this sort of shadow figure of the woman who then um, is uh, helping him to, to navigate the uh, trying to, uh, you know, make sense of, of being a, a spiritual being in a fallen world, essentially. And, um, so it's it's kind of complicated and but this is where the the motif of the divine spark comes in in a real strong way and and this is really the central theme you know of the book it's the main title of the book and uh you know and and so what is it is this is it a metaphor you know i mean we think of the divine spark as you know the the creative process we think of it as uh actualizing our true potential you know and and yet that that's true but um i think but but there's also what seems to be indicated by the texts is is that it's 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 pointing to something quite specific and uh quite powerful and um and simon magus and the gnostic christ uh speak specifically about coming um, to help humanity, you know, we, the Adamic species, uh, to reawaken to our original divine nature, which involves the activation of this mystery of the divine spark. Beautifully said. What do you think, Vince, or do you have any questions? Yeah, well, uh, I think the divine spark to me was always kind of a thread from you know the mm. the Einsoff, God above God, you know the the uh, mm. uh, unmentionable, and all the way through through Sophia and mm. um, the other emanations into into humanity. So mm. it's it's a connection as opposed to like a little particular ball of spark or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so and, and that's and the reason I think that is because um, you can't have a divine nature without being connected to the divine somehow. You know, it's not just a piece that's broken off. It's not separate. That's mm -hmm. that's what I thought. But um, uh, as far as questions are, are concerned, I was uh, wondering, um, um, have you seen anything uh, about Sophia's life before the fall, you know, in, in the Pleroma? And have you heard of an emanation uh, called Alethea and a possible relationship to Sophia? You know, that... Uh, I know that there, that Alethea, or as I as I understand that word to be, uh, is is lingering somewhere in the in the texts. I um, I don't. Uh, it's it's not something that has been a part of the the through line of my research. It has not. But um, I will say that. Um, it's amazing uh the the text i think you mentioned miguel um well it's the book of yao um it's also called the you know the great um 
gosh, it's like the great mystery according to the, um, it, it's it's the great logos according to the mystery. It's yeah, something phenom- like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's, and there's actually a book that compares that text. It's a very dense uh, initiatory text that uh, probably was not meant for the uninitiated. Um, ah. And there's a and there's a book that uh, compares that with the Pista Sophia, and and there's this whole analysis of what the what's going on between the two of them. But in it, um, they have these illustrations uh, of uh, the original cosmology, the original unfolding prior uh, to the to the to the unfolding of the Pleroma. And uh, and I included in the book. I think it's might maybe the first illustration. It's this uh, picture of kind of a half, almost like a horseshoe shaped, almost a circle. And inside it, there's three lines, and those three lines are uh, identified as the three voices prior that are that are singing prior to the emanation. It's it's a very exceedingly rare glimpse of uh what we also might be calling the ain sulf in the in the kabbalah system the 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 the, the Lariac kabbalah system and uh and and uh yeah it, it's there's the the whole christ in the apocryphon of john the secret book of john spends paragraph upon paragraph describing this ineffable source singularity monad point of origins that is so unfathomable it's so unknowable and 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 that this is a a a mystery that absolutely is central to everything and how much attention the Gnostic Christ, the deep Christ, put on this or original source thing, <laughs> you know, is it, it just underlines how important it is. And I, <clears throat> Vance, I really like what you were saying about, you know, the divine spark is something that is connective. It, it's both, yeah. you know, in self and something that's deep within us. So, uh, yeah, I'm not great. sure where to go with it that, at that point. <laughs> no, that's good. great. No, that's a very good uh, answer. Yeah, it's hard to describe. Well, they use that apophatic uh, theology. It's not this. It's not that. It's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, describe. by by the way, um, the the name of the Simon Magus's great revelation, uh, I think it's Apophysis. Is that the name? Uh, uh, Megale? It's the great revelation. It's 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 translated as the great revelation, right? But apophysis, that word, it's like I finally looked it up. Oh, and it's interesting. yeah, yeah. It's, it's a um, it's a word that is a it's a it's it's a technique in debate where you're actually saying something by you're you're negating something. And by negating something, you're actually saying it actually exists. So the example is uh, my uh, my my opponent in this political race. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that my political opponent is a is a is a horrible drunkard. And 
you, you know, you've just said my opponent is a horrible drunkard <laughs> by yeah. saying I'm not going to say it. Yeah, yeah. That's an apophysis. <laughs> That's an apophysis. Simon Magus is presenting the great apophysis by revealing this source, um, you know, Ainsoff ineffable, which is unknowable. It, it can't be, it can't be revealed. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, but he just revealed it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the Pleroma is timeless, right? And, uh, and, and that, that's another yeah. thing. If, if, you know, the, the Ainsoff, the one, the Monad, you know, have a million names for mm -hmm. it that don't describe it adequately. Yeah. If, if, yeah. if it's timeless, that means everything happens at once. You know, I mean, there's mm -hmm. no, there is no time. Yeah. Yeah. So and therefore, Sophia um, is just one of the possibilities that had to happen with, within all time and all possibilities. Mm. Since there's no mm. time, right? It was mm. meant to be. It was just part of part of everything. Mm. So you can't say Sophia shouldn't have done that. You know, she mm -hmm. know better. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's why I like what she said before about you know Sophia not being uh, held to blame, so to speak. It was. Mm -hmm. It was that individual, like that's what the, an individual does, right? When you're when you're with your parents, finally you become teenager and you become very independent. You mm -hmm. do something mm -hmm. else, and you accept mm -hmm. what you're told. You become a separate individual. Yeah, that is true. That is mm -hmm. true. Yeah, and there's uh, yeah great descriptions in the book. But as we get to the end, uh, and I will have this on the show notes as always. But for those listening in audio. Where can people find out more about you, Dan? Okay. So I do have a website called sophiaproject.net. sophiaproject.net. And I, you know, have links to the book and articles and there's research articles. And uh, I go into the Thomas Cross, which is just a phenomenal and uh, is featured on the front of, of the book. And, and, and I don't get to the, the mystery of the Thomas cross until the very end of the book. Uh, so it's, it's featured on the front of the book and I don't get to it until the very last pages. So, <laughs> so, but there it is, uh, uh sophiaproject.net. Awesome. Wonderful. We'll check it out and yeah, definitely check out the book and, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it and I plan on reading it several more times, but we are at the end of this thomas cross so uh vance first of all thanks for keeping us company oh it's, it was great to hear uh, a great message so and um you're welcome and dan thank you for coming here and reminding us all that really the important thing is mm -hmm. to uh, get in touch with that divine spark and uh, make that connection back up to the pleroma amen <laughs> amen well, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much. It's been, you know, a real pleasure. And, you know, what you guys are doing to hold like a platform and space for this type of conversation and through the years, I mean, many, many years, it's just absolutely, you know, awesome. And Miguel, you certainly did your homework for, for today. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it was a pleasure reading your book. It was not, not work at all. It was great. Yeah. And as far as Vance and I, 
you know, we have to convince it's it's because our wives are tired of us. So we just have to do this. <laughs> Somebody will listen to us. <laughs> we have nowhere to go. No, just no. kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, I Dan, yeah, yeah, exactly. But Dan, thank you very much. And uh, good luck with your book. And uh, hopefully we will talk sooner rather than later. Excellent. Thank you very much. Take care. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. Damn, Dan's book is excellent, and you are seeing this from the interview. In our second part, Dan will talk about Demdar Archons. Does he think Archons could be aliens? What exactly are they? He'll share on what trauma is from a Gnostic point of view, as well as his interesting interaction with Elaine Pagels years ago on the idea of the Deep Christ. Then we'll pivot to the Knights Templar, and Dan makes a case that they might have had access to Gnostic Gospels. We'll talk about the mysterious Bridal Chamber Ritual, Dan's favorite Gnostic films, and much more. So please become a member for the full Divine Sparky Spark. It's only $6.99 for AB Prime or $4.99 at Red Circle a month or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. For AB Prime members and higher level patrons, you'll get access to my private Facebook group and Discord channel. If you find value in this content, please support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Your help can be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the US Mail. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe now, as I know many of you are pissed off at PayPal for its recent evil. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list. Consider joining the Finding Hermes program, where we have bi-monthly meetings on Gnostic practices and rituals, as well as some cool Q&As. I'm also on Rockfin or Odyssey if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all these choices, or any of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Hello and goodbye, as always.